Welcome back to another Berlin, where we do in-depth dives into the ideas that shaped and continue to shape the city of Berlin. My name is Katarina. And my name is Cody. In this episode, we are focusing on a place very dear to our hearts, the mighty Tempelhof. As with our previous episodes covering the squatting movement here in Berlin, this one also comes from a deep desire to learn more about something we think is important to Berlin and all the different people who live here. How is Tempelhof both nothing and everything at the same time? Why does it draw in so many people year-round? Why is public so invested in it? And finally, how did it become what it is and what will the future bring? If you're like us and want some in-depth answers to these questions, stick around. Oh, and one quick disclaimer before we dive in. We are not professional historians and history is tricky. Even though we worked really, really hard to give you the best available information, there is a tiny chance we missed something. Okay, now you cannot sue us. Hopefully. Let's get on with the show. My favorite way to enter Tempelhof Field is from the east, coming through Schillerkeets. Passing by weekend markets, bustling spätis, and families out and about, the tree-lined streets and buildings filtering the sun. Walking west, the eye is drawn down to the end of the street, to a bright glow. It's the feeling of exiting a tunnel. busker plays a mobile upright piano as your eyes adjust and just beyond through an opening in an endless chain link fence a vastness stretches out before you all the way to the horizon the immense field is filled with bicyclists wind surfers and joggers crisscrossing out on the dual massive retired airport runways until they disappear into little specks. It's worth mentioning at this point too that Tempelhof used to be an airport. I've never seen anything like it anywhere else. Every time my friends come to visit, I'm like, we have to go to Tempelhof. This is my friend Alex. He's lived near the park for years and has no intention of leaving the area anytime soon. The first time I came to Tempelhof was to meet Alex and some other friends who were having a barbecue. In skateboard, you can bike, you can hang out and grill, you know, you can do whatever you want here. And I think that's really nice about it. You know, it's a, it's a spot really for the people and what they want to do. And it's not put in a box of what you are supposed to do there. You know what I mean? It's a peaceful place. Yeah, peace. Peace and warm and fuzziness, I'd say. <laughs> Tempelhof is huge. It's really huge. It's twice as big as the city-state of Monaco in the south of France, bigger than Central Park in New York, and it's actually the world's biggest park space within a city. I think the fact that you have this massive open space in the middle of a giant city is so amazing. And every time I have a friend come from another country or another city and they're like, well, I want to come see Berlin. 
and, and I'm like, don't don't go to the Brandenburg Gate. You can skip that, forget that. But what you need to do is you need to come to Tempelhofer You need to sort of see the culture and the people living here and seeing how, in spite of the fact that we're like in one of the densest uh, urban spaces anywhere in the world, we are having this incredible green space. Near the end of this last summer, I met up with another friend, Carl, who was celebrating his birthday by having a Tempelhof picnic with drinks and food provided by the beer garden nearby. With him were his fiancée, Clara, and friend, Sean. I just love to have this huge space here because it allows me to really take a second and just appreciate that I'm quote-unquote in nature and just really gives me a chance to breathe and to see the open space and just sort of grounds me. It's really something beautiful and special which can only be found in Berlin actually. This feeling of Tempelhofferfeld is not something I've seen reproduced anywhere else in the world. That's why it's just amazing. Tempelhof has just been is one of my favorite places in the world and that's why I've, I've decided to live here. Despite a few trees around the perimeter, most of the field is empty or flat, at least compared to other parks in Berlin. In many ways, it still looks like a plane could safely land here. Because of this, being here, having a beer, or even just joining a grill party, I'm almost filled with a sense of mischief, as if I'm trespassing on some vast private land. It's one of the reasons I love it, this huge open space. It's an alternate universe inside a city that seems to transport you somewhere completely different. I mostly hang around here, sometimes drinking beer, meeting with friends, and what is the most important stuff is enjoying the sunset on occasional times. And that's one of the main reasons I think that people come here. This is a guy we met in the park while waiting to interview Alex. It's one of the rare places in Berlin where you have a horizon. And normally you don't have a horizon in in Berlin. And I think this makes this place quite special. It's hard to imagine something like this could exist, basically hidden inside a city like Berlin. On Google Maps, Tempelhof hardly looks like a park, even though it technically is. Without seeing it in person, it's hard to understand how such a large portion of this part of the city, filled with dense, winding streets, could be this... nothing. It's a freaking airport, and you can walk down a runway from an airport, which you can never do in your life, ever, and it's just super cool. Tempelhof wasn't planned to be like this, to be a park. Even before the Nazis took control of the building and field, it was one of the oldest, biggest, and busiest airports in the world. On top of that, it's possible to visit the park multiple times and never notice the huge structure hiding in the heart of the park, the actual airport building itself. If you walk beyond the beer gardens, hamburger stands, and sports fields, you'll come to a tall fence. On the other side, you're met with a looming site of the airport itself, and this building is also huge. If you include the area inside the fence, off-limits to the public as it wraps around to Columbia Dam and continues around the entire building, you have an area of nearly 610,000 square meters. To put this in Berlin size, 
It's 3.5 times the size of Gorlitzer Park. It's 1.3 times as large as Hassenheide. It's 2.4 times the main area of Alexanderplatz, where the station, malls, and TV tower are. It's almost twice the size of Museum Island. It would cover nearly 15 square blocks of Friedrichshain, including all of the Arrive, Simon Dock, and Boxy areas. It's almost four times larger than Mauer Park, including the markets and bars, and it's 23 times the size of the Lichtenberg IKEA. But aside from just how big an area it is, what do we really know about the building? To understand why things are like this now, we need to understand more of the history of the airport itself. For this episode of the podcast, we thought it made sense to bring in our buddy Nick. When he's not giving fantastic city tours to visitors and locals alike, he just loves researching and talking about history. So, Nick, welcome. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Many people interact with Tempelhof purely as a setting or venue to meet with friends or drink or grill, but overlook the site's history. Its story perhaps doesn't get the same level of consideration that many other more obvious historical monuments or museums in Berlin receive. But in a lot of ways, I think the story of Tempelhof is the story of Berlin and everything that this city has been through. What is that story? Yeah, the history of Tempelhof, of course, didn't begin or end with the Nazis. If you want to go all the way back, in the 13th century, Tempelhof was home to the local Knights Templar headquarters. That's where the Feld got its name. Today, the Feld is practically in the middle of Berlin, geographically speaking, but back then, Schöneberg, Neukölln were just distant, independent villages. Tempelhof's aeronautics history begins as early as the 19th century. Because the surrounding area was still lightly populated, it was chosen as the region's first official airfield. Wait, it, it was a working airfield in the 1800s? But there weren't even planes yet. One word for you, Cody. Balloons. <laughs> Scientific balloons were all the rage. The Prussian Academy of Sciences was setting altitude records, which would remain unbroken until the 20th century. Tempelhof's first powered airplane flight took off in 1909, just six years after the Wright brothers first proved it possible. Within just a few years, Tempelhof had become the most heavily trafficked airport in Europe. And what happened when the Nazis came to power? The Nazis chose it as a sort of prestige project to construct a fitting gateway to their capital. Tempelhof today is probably one of the best surviving examples of this monumentalist aesthetic popularized by infamous Nazi architects like Albert Speer, Ernst Zagebiel. It is essentially classically inspired architecture, though stripped of all decorative flourish, while exaggerated and overblown in proportion. It reflects the fascist ideology as a whole, simultaneously ambitious and regressive, grandiose yet oppressive. Its construction was just the early stages of a grand urban plan led by Speer that would have seen most of Berlin raised to make way for Germania, the capital of this new Nazi world empire. And indeed, Tempelhof was the first thing many people saw of Hitler's Germany. After just one year of round-the-clock construction, it opened in time for the historic 1936 Berlin Olympics. 
At the time of its completion, it was literally the largest building in the world. Was Tempelhof complicit in any of the crimes of the Nazis? Unfortunately, yeah. The Columbia concentration camp was operated on its grounds, which was the only official SS concentration camp in all of Berlin. A hangar at Tempelhof was later even converted into one of the largest aircraft assembly plants in the world, staffed almost entirely by prisoners and forced laborers. Yeah, if Tempelhof was such an important part of the Nazi plan, how did it survive the war? As the Soviets advanced, Hitler ordered that infrastructure like factories, bridges, rail lines all across Germany be destroyed to slow their progress. Tempelhof was lined with dynamite to prevent it from falling into Soviet hands, but when the orders finally came down to destroy the building, the airport commander, Rudolf Böttke, refused and instead committed suicide, never carrying out or passing those orders on. His actions are likely the only reason the building is even still standing today. And what happened to it after the war ended? Again, the Soviets are the ones who conquered Berlin, but within a few months, they handed over control of Tempelhof to the Americans. It was agreed Germany would be split between the four victorious powers, but Berlin, despite being well within what was Soviet-occupied territory, was declared an international zone and similarly divided between them. The Soviets despised this compromise, though, and wanted Berlin to themselves. They set up a blockade to essentially cut West Berlin off from the rest of the world, hoping to starve out the Americans, British, and French. But while Stalin was willing to physically block roads and rail lines, he was not willing to start shooting down planes. And the Americans and British called his bluff and began possibly one of the largest peacetime logistical feats in history, the Great Berlin Airlift. For the next 12 months, West Berlin, a city of 2 million people, was fed, clothed, and powered entirely by air. Huh. Tempelhof and later Tegel were literally the city's only lifelines. The Soviets eventually lifted the blockade, but Tempelhof remained an integral connection to the outside world for West Berlin. What happened after reunification? Well, the US military officially handed over control of Tempelhof in 93, but by then it was already well past its prime. By the 80s, most flights were already being redirected through Tegel, uh, which by the way has a fascinating story in and of itself. <laughs> but at that point, Tempelhof was for the most part relegated to short range business and chartered flights, which led to it having a connotation among the public of being an airport only for the rich. Mm. And by the 2000s, Tempelhof was operating at a deficit. And with approval of funding for the shiny, new, modern Berlin-Brandenburg airport, it was decided Tempelhof would be permanently shut down. And in 2008, after 85 years of service, the last flight lifted off from Tempelhof airfield. Was there any sort of plan of what to do after that? In a lot of ways, Tempelhof's closure was just the beginning. Before it even shut its doors, there were already passionate and contentious debates surrounding its future. The city's original plan was to build new housing, commercial areas, and government buildings all along the periphery of the Feld, developing about one-third of its total space. But Tempelhoferfeld reopened to the public in 2010, as is, as was, and there has been an intentional lack of development of the space ever since. And why is that? Well, look, the fight for an alternative use of Tempelhoferfeld didn't start with the airport's closure. Initiatives began as early as 1986, 
Since then, movements have fought for Tempelhof's preservation as a public space. But by far the most successful of these was the 100% Tempelhoferfeld initiative, which we have to thank for the park's current existence, essentially. After a year or so of Tempelhof being open to the public, people began to get used to the space and wanted to keep it that way. Residents in Schillekeets, the neighborhood east of the Feld, initiated a public referendum to keep the entire area of the park completely and totally untouched and undeveloped, forcing the city to cancel all plans for development. The referendum ended up passing, of course, by a decent margin, meaning the preservation and conservation of Tempelhofefeld is now legally guaranteed, at least until the Senate decides otherwise, or another referendum is held. Who actually owns or controls Tempelhof now? Is it the state or a private company or what? Well, since it was former property of the Reich, the federal government did inherit it. But they sold their share to the city of Berlin for an equivalent of 35 million euros in the 90s. Not a bad deal. But that's where the history of the Feld and the airport itself diverge. The state government split administration of Tempelhof among two non-profit companies, Krun Berlin, whose sole shareholder is the state of Berlin, operates the Feld as well as various other public spaces around the city, such as Gleistreieck and the Berlin Wall Memorial. The building, however, is operated by Tempelhofer Projekt. An unfortunate side effect, though, is of course the massive and impassable fence at the end of the tarmac, a real Tempelhofer Mauer, if you will, hmm. which now cuts off Tempelhofer Feld and the citizens themselves from the actual Flughafen Tempelhof building. And with that fence, the history of Tempelhof as a singular entity, as far as I'm aware, ends, and the space no longer has a single future. Again, while the field has been open to the public for about nine years now, the building itself has been closed off. It didn't open its doors again until November 18th, 2017, when the first Tag der Öffnen Tour was held. Oh, Cody and I were at that event. Yeah, I'm actually a little jealous. You know, I've never been in Tempelhof. I know all this history and stuff about it, but I've never actually seen the inside. Uh, how was it? What was it like? It was a lot of fun. And it was really cool to walk around inside a building. The mood was optimistic, everyone was talking about the future of the building, and everything seemed so easy and possible. Oh yeah, and there were tons of people there. The lines to get into one of the hangars just took forever. Cody and I were new to the city, and this was one of our first hangs together. We went there without even realizing how special this day was. It was the first time the public was allowed to see the building in its post-airport state after nine years of the building being closed off. But of course, it has been three years since that event and to most people it seems like there's been no progress. Do you know anything about the future of the airport itself, the building? Uh, I don't. I'm basically as clueless as can be in this respect. <laughs> Zero help for you. <laughs> I don't really know what they're doing with the, uh, with the building of the airport, do you know? When the Tempelhofer Projekt company was founded back in 2011, the first task was making the monument preservation plan, which lasted from 2012 to 2015. This plan basically figures out how to technically make the whole building usable again. 
The building is a historical monument, which means that it's impossible to demolish parts, build more buildings next to it, change the facade, and all of the interventions have to be approved by the authorities, which makes the development a bit more complicated. No maintenance work has been done since 1996, when the decision to close it was first announced. So after nearly 25 years, the estimated cost is now 120 million euro just to renovate it up to code. In 2015, in the midst of the migrant crisis, it was announced by the Berlin state government that Tempelhof would become an emergency refugee shelter. It ended up housing around 2,700 people in hangars and temporary structures outside of the building. This lasted until 2019, and it was generally positively received by the public. During the refugee crisis in 2018, there was a lot of refugees staying there, living there, which I, which I think is a great, you know, it's a good spot to, you know, for that. I mean, obviously, it's not the best place for people to live, but in that crisis moment where they didn't have anywhere else to put people, this was a space that they could use to give that temporary housing that wasn't available anywhere else. I live here and we live next to the largest refugee uh, center anywhere in Germany and I, my life did not change one little bit. And so I find that to be this stark contrast to all the crazy memes your aunt is sharing on Facebook. Out of nearly 300,000 square meters, only two-thirds are currently rentable and the rest is unusable because of structural or code reasons. Tempelhofer Project is renting out more than 125,000 square meters to more than 90 tenants. Current uses include offices for small companies, a private university, etc. Symbolically or not, one-third of the whole rented area is occupied by the police, around 40k, which is a lot. The general idea of the future development is keeping the current tenants while refurbishing the rest and then bringing the future users. So everything is kind of overlapping. The official planned uses for the building and its seven hangars are art, culture, creative industries, public uses, and major events. Currently, around 70 employees at the Tempelhofer Project are executing the master plan called Vision 2030+, where the majority of the building is going to be rented out, with three fixed areas set aside for public use. Most of the main administrative buildings surrounding the entrance to the airport and main hall are headed for new use as diverse offices and startups. Over the course of 15 years, these buildings will be gradually refurbished and modernized as the current tenants make way for the new. The western hangars are planned to be rented out long-term for different cultural uses. Hangar 5 is supposedly going to be rented to Volksbühne for a temporary theater space, but there are multiple conflicting accounts on if it's still true. Hangar 6 is officially set to host the Aviation Center of the German Museum of Technology, and Hangar 7 will be the new location for the Allied Museum. Hangars on the east side, from 1 to 4, 
are shown in the master plan as flexible event spaces. However, Hangar 1 is currently used as a community recreational space and it's unclear if this will be allowed to continue. The main hall, which is the former ticket check-in, should also have a similar usage as hangars 1 to 4. There are three parts of the building intended for public use and funded by the government. The first one is the check-in visitor info center, the only part of the plan completed so far. Located at the entrance to the former main hall, its purpose is to inform the public about the current state of the process. At the time of recording this, it is closed and we unfortunately still haven't seen it. The observation tower on the far west side will provide a panoramic view over the area and scheduled to open in 2022. The third one, a rooftop gallery, is pretty interesting. Fun fact. The roof construction of the building was planned by the Nazis as a so-called air stadium and it was supposed to host 80,000 visitors to witness parades and watch planes take off. The current plan is to use this 1.2 km long massive roof structure as a public rooftop gallery. Let's go back to this open house day in 2017 designated as day zero of one of the most ambitious participatory projects in Europe. So what does participatory mean in terms of design? It is a term often used to explain that the design and functionality of a building depends on everyone who is involved in the project, including eventual users, which is not usually the case. In the case of the Tempelhof building, since it is somewhat public, Public involvement should matter, and public opinion must be included in the future building plans. It is usually the more complicated way to plan buildings, and the term is often just thrown around as a buzzword. But if executed properly, it is the most effective and democratic way to develop our environment. When they announced that the Tempelhof building is going to be planned like this, I was more than excited. But since a lot of the people we talked to recently weren't really sure about the future of the building, we decided to reach out to initiatives and find out why. I'm Serena. My name is Mona and I'm just here all the time. Mona and Serena are members of Torhouse, a young and growing initiative concerned with the future of the Tempelhof building and what to do with the empty hangars. They invited us to their space, an old converted guardhouse at the edge of the airport on Columbia Dam, to discuss how the public can be more involved in shaping the future of the airport building. Yeah, welcome to the tour house. This is our little living room, I would call it. It's where the technical equipment is for the radio, which is in the other room. And on the right side, we have our kitchen and beer fridge. Torhouse fits 10,000 times into the whole airport building. Mm -hmm. We're an association, mm -hmm. we have mm -hmm. over 100 people feeling somehow connected to this place and mm -hmm. also shaping it for like their needs. Yeah, it makes so much sense to use this empty building. I mean, okay, maybe it's not the best condition ever, but uh, <laughs> let's be a bit more ecological also about not building new things and thinking about how to reuse mm -hmm. the spaces we have. 
you know that there's this huge free space in the middle of Berlin and no one's talking about it. Why not turn this into a real-life laboratory? Torhaus is working on Hangar X, a project to allow the public to utilize and curate one of the seven massive hangars at Tempelhof. But it's not easy. Here in Germany, there's like five million rules on heritage buildings, so you cannot change it. Tempelhof, of course, it, it has so many obstacles. Mm. There is not an awareness that there was. there's this building. Also says private property everywhere and there are fences mm -hmm. everywhere. And this is also, I think, where we want to say, like, okay, can we put all these obstacles and all the no's and all the cannots by side? Yeah. So with the hunger, what we're trying at the moment to so look at one of these. And we say, like, it should be opened and then, like, organically grow with the community. And I think this is also what we still have to mm -hmm. learn, especially mm -hmm. in bureaucracy, because there is actually a, a company that is like publicly owned that is developing the building. They're acting on behalf of the Senate of City Development and Housing of Berlin. At the moment, it's written in the coalition agreement, Tempelhof Airport building is going to be developed in a participatory way. But next year, there are going to be elections. Mm -hmm. And then who will it be next year? Actually, which party will it be? So who are we addressing? And then at one point, I think we were like, hey, let's focus more on ourselves, not only fight always with the obstacles and the reality. So we did this fictional open call. We invited the whole Berlin to sign in ideas for what they would do in a hangar. We sent around the ground plan of the hangar. We told them like it's actually empty. We didn't say it's free for us, but we said it's empty. But yeah, like this speculative, uh, inviting for speculative design ideas or proposals or needs, not only design ideas, but also like if you have a project in mind and you need a space, just to make a catalog basically of people in Berlin who need a space. We were like, yeah, let's just dive into this experiment and see where it gets mm -hmm. us. The first idea was also to show that we have thousands of ideas. So to have people out there saying, actually, I want to have my workshop in there. I need uh, a space where I can bring my kid with doing my yoga classes next to it. <laughs> I don't know. Despite the fact that the current proposals include space for public use and involvement, it's yet to be seen how that will actually work. This master plan that came out, nothing uh, really accessible for the whole people of Berlin. I mean, um, at least they didn't grow out of a participation process as it was promised. And, mm. it, and it didn't grow out of the needs people living in the city are having. So this is also why it should be still up for discussion. And this discussion actually never really happened yeah. yet. I mean, Berlin changed so much in the last 20 years. And citizens, I could say, got robbed of extremely important social hubs, social infrastructure because of financial interest. How much space is there really in hardcore real-life radical ideas of change and transformation? And we may not look like it, but of course we have radical ideas. And I think if you look at um, politics, great things happening in great um, directions, but I think Tempelhof is so important to talk about because it is a free space that can be filled with communities. And so people sometimes are like, can I actually, can I be here, can I come? And we're just like, yeah, sure. We want you to come for at least. <laughs> so come and make this your place because it's supposed to be a public place, even if it's like 
private population. Mm. Because I mean, how can you answer a question of what should this building over there become if you don't know anything about the building? Like what is the shape? What is actually possible? The Tempelhof building is considered to be the mother of empty buildings in Berlin. In the context of a Berlin that continues to sell public land to private companies, keeping the airport building at least somewhat in the hands of the public is a good step towards making sure that the building fulfills actual public needs. But this foundation is meaningless without dedicated evaluation and public involvement throughout the process to keep the official plans in check. Unfortunately, it can change any time. And even not to our benefit. Because once the scaffolding goes up, it's over. Right now though, on paper at least, we, the public, still have a say in this process. Which brings us to the participation process. It's a great decision, but many of the people we spoke to didn't even know it was happening. On top of that, online annual reports and newsletters are only available in German, making it difficult for people who only speak English, Turkish or other minority language to get in-depth, up-to-date information. And for some of us without access to the internet, there aren't even explanation signs or boards on or around the building. If someone in charge of these things is listening, please help us to understand your plans. It is important to remember that a building of this size, even if it will in part serve the public, needs a way to be economically sustainable. So, it's logical to rent space out to for-profit companies and organizations. But as of today, no space in the building master plan is zoned for non-profit community use. And that raises the danger of profit overtaking community use. Is profitability more important than the needs of the public? And if yes, is there a business model that could sustain both? Otherwise, we all miss out on the full potential of what this building can and should be. We should not ignore the strong symbolism of this building's past. It has always represented the ideologies of the regimes of the time. Let's skip for now the topic of the police currently occupying the building and think about a future use that is going to represent our desired society. If we really want to move towards democratic inclusivity, then community spaces are one of the key ways to represent this ideal. If we want to be able to enjoy the building as much as we enjoy the field, it is extremely important now, more than ever, to make it a part of the public discussion. Berlin has a certain uncanny draw for people, for one reason or another. For me, it was the history, but for others, it's the art or the attitude, the partying or the culture, so on and so forth. But no matter what your thing is, Tempelhof, in my view, manages to check 
all those boxes. I mean, its very existence as an airfield is a testament to this progressive and forward-thinking nature of early 20th century Berlin, which at the time was the fastest growing and maybe the most progressive city on earth. The building came to represent Berlin's survival and resilience after the war, and quite literally its only lifeline to the outside world, only to then be left all but abandoned in the city's perhaps overly ambitious rush into the modern world of post-reunification Germany. But to then be saved by this, I don't know, I think uniquely Berlin penchant for reusing, recreating, reappropriating its own space and history. Even now it seems caught and very much emblematic of this current cultural battleground of Berlin, the, the growing pains of success and the conflict between what Berlin was and what it still might become. For me, I actually don't interact with Tempelhof all that much, but I sure as hell am glad that it is still there. It's a piece of history that people can use and interact with, that people can actually enjoy in a way that the Brandenburg Tor or the Reichstag never will be. And while personally, I wish the building was open to the public and that more could be done with the Feld itself, whether that be just Spielplatzes or, I don't know, art exhibitions, events. But the very fact that this space even still exists is the most Berlin thing ever, an almost intentional lack of a plan. I mean, what other growing and thriving city in the Western world would allow 3.5 square kilometers within its city limits to go just undeveloped? I mean, the Tempelhof airport itself was never even actually finished, right? It was only the first step of the Nazis' plans for the space, and the story of that space still isn't finished. And again, that story is the story of Berlin. You know, one of my favorite quotes about this city is by an old German author named Karl Scheffler, who said that Berlin is a city cursed, cursed to forever becoming yet never being. In a way, I think just like Tempelhof itself. So we need to protect what history it is we have in Tempelhof, the space, or the building, or the Grillplatz, or whatever it is to you, is one of the few things still standing that touches nearly every aspect of the life and history of the city. No matter how you spend your time at Tempelhof, at some point, you will need to leave. Because unlike some of the other big parks in Berlin, Tempelhof does close at night. In the summer, you can stay as late as 10.30. And now, as the winter weather and daylight settles in, you have to leave as early as 6 p.m. So, watch the sunset below the horizon, finish that last beer, fold up your kite, pack up your blanket, and head out. Either west, past the runways, out to the S-Bahn, north beyond the sports fields to Columbia Dam, or back east into Schillerkeets. And as you leave the field behind, you're greeted again by familiar Berlin. By donor, spätis, families, bars, and winding streets. And even though you must go back to your normal life, it feels good knowing Tempelhof is still there. 
Somehow this big emptiness makes the whole city feel more full and livable. You know it's waiting there for you to become whatever you need it to be. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, and maybe even learned something. A big thank you to everyone who supported us and to all of our lovely, talented friends who helped make this episode happen. Oh, and also you for tuning in. As always, the show and research notes are available on our website, another.berlin. If you enjoyed what we're doing, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts and give us a review. The best way to get in touch with us is on Instagram at another underscore Berlin. Maybe you have an idea for an episode. If so, let us know. Once again, my name is Cody. And my name is Katarina. And this has been Another Berlin. Talk soon.